Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today, of course, is Inauguration Day in Washington, D.C., and I think we should start out with an item from last Sunday, a little remarked upon interview was conducted by the Washington Post aboard Air Force One. It was a 35-minute interview with President Bush where he laid out details of his second-term plans for both foreign and domestic policy. This article, written by Jim Vandehey and Michael Fletcher, opened up saying, no U.S. troop withdrawal date is set. President Bush said the public's decision to re-elect him was a ratification of his approach toward Iraq and that there was no reason to hold any administration officials accountable for mistakes or misjudgments in pre-war planning or managing the violent aftermath. Mr. McMillan, I think President Bush needs a theme at this point. It's a Barnum and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me. The president believes that we believe in him. Quote from this interview, We had an accountability moment, and that's called the 2004 elections. The American people listened to different assessments made about what was taking place in Iraq, and they looked at the two candidates and chose me. With the Iraq elections two weeks away and no signs of the deadly insurgency abating, Bush set no timetable for withdrawing U.S. troops and twice declined to endorse Secretary of State Colin Powell's recent statement that the number of Americans serving in Iraq could be reduced by year's end. What do you think, dear listeners? Do you agree there's no reason to hold any administration officials accountable for mistakes or misjudgments in pre-war planning? Or in managing the violent aftermath? It's the Barnum and Bailey world Just as phony as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me Let's talk about a couple of administration officials. But first, I think we should note that uh, $40 million is being spent on the inauguration today, an all-time record. Helping defray the costs, apparently, is uh, a local boy, Alex Spanos, Republican stalwart from Stockton, owner of the San Diego Chargers and uh, one of the uh, you know galloping developers of open land that remain here in the Central Valley, donated $250,000. That earned him a lunch date with the president. In fact, he gets to have lunch with Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney, and he gets invited to an elite candlelight dinner. 
In a surprising move, the California Farm Bureau Federation contributed $100,000, its first ever contribution to a presidential inauguration. I did note that among the state's corporations, the Bush inauguration has proved popular, even though California is a blue state. Uh, apparently, San Ramon-based Chevron Texaco contributed $250,000 itself, the maximum under the volunteer guidelines set up by the inaugural committee. Suppose they get a tax deduction for that kind of contribution? I bet they do. You know, uh, today was declared to be not one dime day, and, um, and I've been trying to do that all day today and not spending any money uh, to make a, uh, a statement as it were, that, um, you know, people that disagree with what is going on in this country still hopefully have some say. I also took the step of digging out my Chevron credit card. I figured that if Chevron Texaco can contribute a quarter million dollars to the Bush administration, I can cut up my credit card. So I called them and canceled and cut away. And, uh, you know, it felt pretty good. You might want to consider doing the same thing yourself. Later on in that Washington Post um, interview, uh, after talking about the fact that, uh, well, you know, they looked at the two candidates and chose me, for which I'm grateful, the next line is, listen, in times of war, things don't go exactly as planned. And while I'm certain that's true, don't you think that the reason that the war was justified should turn out to be the truth? I mean, if you go in because Saddam is imminently about to use weapons of mass destruction, shouldn't you find such weapons? Later on in the interview, they asked, uh, they asked the president, why do you think uh, Osama bin Laden has not been caught? Our president responded, because he's hiding. It is only a paper moon Hanging over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believe in me We heard on last week's show that our favorite uh, satirist, Tom Burka, appeared in the New York Times op-ed piece January 8th, 2005. And uh, I think it's a good moment here to quote from from that uh, op-ed piece, where uh, Mr. Burka noted that uh, as a result of a bureaucratic slip-up, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld was inadvertently included in the United States government delegation sent to comfort tsunami victims in Southeast Asia. Waves happen, Mr. Rumsfeld told survivors. Weather is untidy. Sometimes you have to make do with the weather you get instead of the weather you want. Mr. Rumsfeld also criticized the news coverage of the disaster. They just keep showing the same wave over and over again, he said. Despite considerable alarm and protest in Asia over Mr. Rumsfeld's comments, President Bush expressed his confidence in the secretary. Beneath his gruff, brusque exterior... Donald Rumsfeld is a sensitive, caring man, he said. Presidential sources later said Mr. Rumsfeld was scheduled to return to Washington as soon as we can get him the hell out of here. And uh, in Doonesbury, one another great American satirist, Monday's column featured Mark Slackmeyer in his radio booth at NPR saying, Well, folks, looks like the architect of U.S. torture policy is about to become attorney general. After 200 years of sanctions against it, Torture has just been mainstreamed by our elected leaders. Time for Americans to rethink what we mean by our values. In the final panel, one of the characters who's in the CIA as one of the junior members is talking to his college roommate saying, well, off to torture class, (laughs) which his roommate saying, give him hell. 
And yes, while the widely disliked John Ashcroft will not be part of the second Bush administration, he's about to be replaced by the guy that thought that sidestepping the Geneva Conventions would be a good idea. Meanwhile, when uh, you actually implement uh, some of these programs at Abu Ghraib prison, people like uh, Charles Grainer get convicted and sentenced to 10 years in a military stockade for his role in abusing Iraqi prisoners. In his defense, Grainer said, I know the Geneva Convention is better than anyone else in my company, and we were called upon to violate the Geneva Conventions. I don't think that's a matter of dispute. That was the policy from the top on down. But while Alberto Gonzalez is about to become our Attorney General, Charles Grainer is going to spend 10 years in the cooler. This is called being a scapegoat. I'm quite certain that Mr. Grainer and his girlfriend, Lindy England, uh, reservists as they were, low-level people, were being told how to conduct these interrogations by various intelligence operatives that were coming in and out of Abu Ghraib. And this was an official policy from the Pentagon and Alberto Gonzalez right on down that they were following. But the architects of the policy are going uh, to continue in the administration while the scapegoats are going to do time. It ain't right. And we'd like to again uh, doff our hat to California Senator Barbara Boxer for standing up in the confirmation hearings of Condoleezza Rice to be the next Secretary of State as Colin Powell is um, being shown the door and ask her some tough questions, to which Condoleezza Rice, after some heated exchange, repeatedly asked the senator not to question her truthfulness. Well, her truthfulness is one of the central issues in her confirmation. Seems like fair territory to me. Interestingly, former presidential nominee John Kerry, Democrat of Massachusetts, remember him, is the only member of the Foreign Relations Committee who told Condoleezza Rice she might not win his vote. In other news, on Tuesday, John Kerry did call into question some of the, uh, some of the electoral processes that was going on in Ohio. Says some of it was a bit fishy. Hmm... Little late to speak up now, John. You know, in, in our second segment today, I think we should take a look back on Inauguration Day at so several excellent articles that have been in various, um, various publications and, and just take a look at what's going on over across the Atlantic in Iraq and what's going on here in the United States as a consequence of the vast expenditures being diverted from the U.S. economy over to the Middle East. We'll do that in our second segment. But uh, let's finish out this segment with a little bit lighter fare. I did purchase a book from the History Channel uh, titled A Day-by-Day Review of World Events, Today in History, which makes some interesting reading, even though in, in reading this I've detected at least 25 errors in the text already, which makes me question the History Channel. But today, January 20th, is a historic date, and we should uh, remind you that the first time a president was inaugurated on January 20th was 1937. Originally in the Constitution, the new president took office on March 4th. With Roosevelt in 1932 wanting to get the country moving in a big hurry, he decided that this was, this was too long between the election in November and March to install a new president. So the period of the lame duck uh, was shortened and January 20th became the official date by which uh, new presidents assume their powers. In 1961, young uh, John F. Kennedy, the youngest man ever inaugurated as president, had a poet along. Robert Frost was at uh, the inauguration. 
But unfortunately, uh, the 87-year-old poet was unable to read the ink uh, from his typewriter, uh, so he was unable to read the poem he'd written for the occasion titled Dedication. So he then performed uh, his poem, The Gift Outright, from memory. In 1977, on this date, the newly inaugurated President Jimmy Carter decided to eschew the traditional limousine trip down, uh, down the boulevards of the Capitol, and he instead walked from the Capitol steps to the White House, an event that uh, was actually witnessed by KDVS's uh, own Dr. Andy Jones, host of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, which is heard right here on uh, this station, Wednesdays at 5 o'clock. We, we ought to have Dr. Andy come and talk about his, um, his brush with history on that day. And in 1981, minutes after Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as the commencement of the Reagan-Bush White House, the 52 American captives that had been held in the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, were released, ending the 440-day so-called Iran hostage crisis. Which kind of brings us the name Bush back up into the discussion of today's show. A lot of folks think that was an awfully suspicious coincidence that... Um, well, a lot of folks believe there was some negotiating going on between Bill Casey, George Herbert Walker Bush, and others to have the Iranians keep our hostages. But uh, that's a topic for another day. We still have some hope that we might be able to bring former President Jimmy Carter onto this show, although I don't think I've got the guts to ask him that question. We'll see. Mr. McMillan just, just, just is growling under his breath. I better have the guts if we get him on the show. All right, all right, I'll ask him the question. He, he's, a, he's an accomplished ducker of questions if he doesn't want to go there. All right, let's, uh, let, let, let's keep it light here. I, I am pleased to report that I have in my left hand Esquire Magazine's annual Dubious Achievements of the Year. And we're going we're gonna to do some of those in a minute. But, but first, let's, uh, let's do our perennial week-in, week-out favorite, the Week magazine section called Good Week 4, Bad Week 4. This has become a, a, a radio parallax fixture. And um, I hope that the legal representatives of the Week magazine realize that we're just doing this for review purposes, <laughs> which is legal, of course. According to the Week, last week was a good week for sparing the rod after protests led the makers of the rod, a flexible whipping stick to pull the product off the market. Clyde Bullock said he made the 22-inch nylon rod to help Christians discipline wayward children in accordance with Scripture. God is right, Bullock said. We have to have faith in that. And it was also a good week for white trash, per The Week magazine, as the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that a Ku Klux Klan chapter must be allowed to participate in Missouri's Adopt-A-Highway Litter Control Program. So somewhere between Hannibal and, uh, and St. Louis, maybe in the future, you'll, you'll see a sign that says this stretch of highway cleaned up through the contributions of Grand Dragon Randy O'Neill. Last week, however, was a bad week for 14-year-old boys when a New Jersey middle school refused to let Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie work as substitute teachers for an episode of The Simple Life. It's also a bad week for conservative children as a liberal website begins selling an 895 device that blocks televisions from showing Fox News. 
And from the Only in America file, and I think you can expect more of these kinds of articles uh, to be in the newspapers in the future, the new president of Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida, ordered a sorority to remove a statue of a Greek goddess. I had questions about the appropriateness of a Greek goddess on a campus with a Christian heritage, said President Trudy Kibbe Reed. Students were puzzled by the decision to remove the statue, which had stood on college grounds for 31 years. It's not like we sit around the goddess and get on our knees and worship it, said one student. All right, let us go to let's go to the dubious achievements of the year in Esquire. Now they're really not putting their heart into this like they used to. This is this is a fairly short one. It only goes on for looks like six seven pages, and considering the ever increasing reservoir of dubious achievements out in American and international uh, societies, I think they're just not their hearts not in it anymore, which is too bad. But anyway. As usual, we will read the text and then see how Esquire captioned it because that's frequently where the humor lies. Item, Kobe Bryant's lawyers argued that the woman accusing Bryant of sexual assault should be referred to in court as the complaining witness rather than the victim, which Esquire captioned, they also asked that the term rape be replaced by hot all-star action. Item, Director Kevin Smith told Playboy magazine that he was once asked to direct a movie in which Michael Jackson would play a man who turns into a car driven around by a boy, which Esquire captured scene one, car ask boy to pull on its emergency brake. <laughs> Item, Girls Gone Wild founder Joe Francis filed a $25 million and $36 defamation suit against a woman who'd accused him of rape. The extra $36 was a compensation for room service hamburgers he claims the woman ordered the day after the alleged rape, which Esquire just simply captions, classy. Keep in mind that these dubious achievements are actual news items of the year 2004. The U.S. Postal Service could be used to deliver antibiotics to people in their homes in the event of a biological attack, according to a plan being developed by the government, which Esquire captioned, what could possibly go wrong? All right, Esquire captioned this one. We were wondering whatever became of John Ashcroft to the item where a 46-year-old man was bitten on the arms and legs at the Taipei Zoo. Remember this story? We told you about it after he leapt into the lion's pen and attempted to convert the animal to Christianity, shouting at them, Jesus will save you, and come bite me. I think we mentioned this item on the show last year. JFK Reloaded, a video game that simulates the assassination of President Kennedy, was released in November. Players receive points for shooting JFK in the right places and in the right sequence, and lose points for errors, like shooting the first lady, which Esquire captioned, although it's really the trickier shot. All right, three final items. While in prison, Saddam Hussein was reported to be spending his days gardening, enjoying cookies and muffins, and writing poetry, which Esquire captioned, whereas Martha Stewart spends her days figuring out ways to gas the Kurds. And on the item that said, uh, influenced by her practice of Kabbalah, Madonna announced she was taking the name 
Esther, <laughs> which Esquire captioned, haven't the Jews suffered enough? But the final item, dubious achievements of 2004, <laughs> is the following in my book. The Miss America pageant dropped the talent portion from its final round of competition. It's a tragedy, said Heather French Henry, Miss America 2000. That's what separates us from the type of contestants that goes to Miss USA, which Esquire captured. Those sluts at Miss USA don't even want world peace. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We'll be back after a couple short messages. <laughs> 